Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. Today we are talking dental emergencies with Dr Christine Goodall, who is an oral surgeon in Glasgow. Um, there was a lot of good stuff in this podcast. We've decided to split it into two. Um, so this is part one and part two will be out in a fortnight's time. One thing to make clear about this recording is that we discuss infiltration of anaesthetic around teeth at three separate points and for th- three separate conditions. And in fact, it's actually the same procedure. And we'll talk about that a little bit again in the outro. But let's jump right in. Today we have upped our game quite considerably. Um, I feel like I'm moving up in the world. Not only am I recording in a brand new facility in the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow, but I'm interviewing a person who has an OBE. So this is very fancy for me. So I I have a a Dr. Christine Goodall with me today. Um, And Dr. Christine Goodall is an oral surgeon, predominantly, but she does a lot of work with violence reduction. And you also did a PhD on lobsters, I believe. I did, yeah. I did a PhD on the hearing of lobsters. Wow. And I spent three years um, taking recordings from them in the lab, but then also running about um, Loch Torridon, recording them in the wild as well. And has that served you well in dental surgery? (laughs) Well, do you know, I've always thought of um, a PhD as a training in research, and I guess it served me well in that respect. Um, I don't know that it's been that relevant to dentistry. Uh, So you've not been working with lobsters recently? No, I just prefer to eat them. (laughs) Um, So thank you very much for coming today. So so you you have a lot of interests. Um, Your OBE was for your work on violence reduction, working with medics against violence, which you were an original founder of. Um, But that's not actually why we're here today. We've actually invited you along, if you don't mind, to talk a little bit about dental emergencies. Something that we see a lot in the emergency department, but we probably don't get um, a lot of training on. And I thought we could pick out some little tips and pearls, if that's okay. So if you don't mind indulging me a little bit, what I thought we would try to do was try to pretend that you're on shift with me. And think about how you would manage certain kind of basic dental emergencies, Mm -hmm. given our resources. Um, And and we'll make it a, a Friday evening. Mm-hmm. After hours. So what we'll also consider at each little emergency is disposition. So what could wait to Monday? What needs more urgent over the weekend treatment? And what needs referral to Max Fax that evening, if that's okay? Okay, so I thought our first patient uh, could be someone who's uh, a post-extraction bleed, let's say. So at 6 o'clock Friday, we've got a gentleman who's who's come in. His dentition is not great. Um, he also has an alcohol problem, mm-hmm. um, and he that afternoon has just had one tooth extracted, and he comes in and it's bleeding. What's your first thoughts, and what, how do you first address these types of issues? Okay, so so the first thing I suppose with all these things is to try and not have the patient panic too much, and our first recourse would always be to place swabs over the area and get the patient to bite down really hard on them for at least 20 minutes. So you need to have quite a bit of patience with that. So that's what we would do with every patient who came in bleeding to start with. And we tend to use dry swabs um, rather than adrenaline-soaked swabs. Um, and I know I know you were saying, you know, what happens if the swab then pulls the clot out. But by the time you take the swab out after 20 minutes, it will be wet with saliva. So it should come out reasonably easily. Now, the gentleman you describe has got additional issues in that he's got an alcohol problem. And, and those 
to be honest, are the patients that we would worry about the most um, because they will have a deranged clotting system potentially and also platelets that um, are too low in number and also probably don't stick together too well. So they've got, they've got a problem across the whole clotting system um, and they can be quite a challenge. So, um, so I guess with them, if the pressure on its own doesn't work, um, we would think about putting some local anaesthetic round about the area. Um, and you're always better to try and get hold of a dental syringe to do that because the needle is much smaller. And how do you do it? Because I, I've phoned people before for this type of issue and they've said, oh, just put some... And when you're not used to doing it, so is there a, an easy way that you could describe? Is it, is it quite crude or is there a real skill? To no, I mean, like, in this situation, it would be quite crude because you're really just trying to put it in anywhere you can round about the socket. But the thing to do is to not inject it right into the gum because the gum is pretty tied down to the bone. So try and put it into the socket softer tissues okay. so into the buccal sulcus into the lingual sulcus and just let it infiltrate round about the tooth and that might help you get some control over the the bleeding um you know to start with the other thing that you can do with those patients and that we would normally recommend for anybody with an alcohol problem or indeed anybody with any kind of bleeding problem um is to get a bit of surgicel um you probably need to cut a little bit up just get yourself a a short strip of it and and gently put that into the socket and then pressure on top of that again. Okay, so you're not looking to pack the socket. No. Is it just getting a little bit inside? Is that right? And then yeah. packing so it So you'll need to put it far enough into the socket so it doesn't just come straight back out. So placing it over the top of the socket won't work. You yeah. need to put it within the socket. But if you place it too hard into the socket if it's a lower tooth you can damage the inferior dental nerve which runs just below the roots of the teeth so you you want to to put it far enough into the socket that it's not going to come back out but um but not um so far in that you're going to cause that damage and then you would pack over the top and bite again for another bite again minutes. for another 20 minutes and really a lot of stopping bleeding is about having patience yeah. um and the thing to remember is that in terms of dental extractions most people will stop bleeding eventually it's okay. unusual it's very unusual usual for somebody to keep on bleeding. And what is your thoughts on soaking swabs? Adrenaline was always a popular one in A&E mm. and recently some people have been suggesting tranexamic acid soaked swabs. Has that any advantage over the dry swabs or... Is it just something else to try if, if other things have failed? I guess it's just something else to try, but it's not something that we would generally use ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's no issue with using either of those things um, and I guess oral tranexamic tran I can't say that word <laughs> oral tranexamic acid again might be something useful if you've got enough time for that to work yeah and we we discussed then on the rare rare occasions when mm. all of the aforementioned stuff doesn't work what is the, the kind of next step? Is it, is it beyond our expertise now? Is it a case of referring or is there something else we could try? I think you can then try if you feel confident enough you can then try suturing the socket so okay. again, that's just trying to, and it doesn't have to be pretty. So, yeah. um, and they, again, that's just to pull the socket together to get a bit of pressure on yeah. the on the um, wound effectively. Can you try and describe it? And what we'll try and do is we'll try and find a video online mm -hmm. and maybe put it in our show notes. But it's okay. just just the very basic principle of, of of closing the socket. Closing. So you want to go from the buccal side to the lingual side. Try and get your suture through the soft tissues 
on either side, tie it together just in a regular knot um, and try and put a couple of stitches in like that. Okay. If you're able to, you can crisscross it across the socket just to pull things a wee bit yeah. tighter. Um, but as I say, it doesn't need to look pretty. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do is if you can see a bleeding point, and sometimes you can, um, if it's in the soft tissue, you can diatherme that. Okay. Um, obviously, you would need to give the patient local anaesthetic to do that. Um, and the other thing that we sometimes use is bone wax. Um, because often what you'll see is a little perforator into the socket. So if you can manage to get it dry enough to see in, you'll see a wee perforator. And if you can see that, you can smear bone wax over it, but you shouldn't put too much of that in. Yeah, and that's probably something we don't have. In no. <laughs> and no. Come back to the stitching. Um, so I take it the stitch will come out eventually. The dentist will, will obviously, so it's, as you say, not, you know, it's not a, a, a long-lasting thing. No. It's not to be pretty. You're just trying to close the socket over, yeah. is that right? Yeah, you're really just trying to get pressure, as much pressure as you can from wherever you can to try and, and get things to stop bleeding. So, um, and generally speaking, you know, a combination of those things will work. Surgicel is probably your best friend in that situation. Okay. Um, so Surgicel and pressure. Um, and, you know, the patient should obviously then be encouraged not to fiddle about with the socket which patients are a wee bit prone to doing. So no fiddling about with it, no further rinsing out um, for that day. Um, but uh, but that's that's usually works for most people. Okay, so in terms of disposition, um, mm-hmm. let's just have a wee think about what we would do. So presuming that we, we managed to get this con- contained, say we'd use Surgicel, that was very successful. When would the patient need to be seen again, do you think, by their dentist? Well, I think I think if you get it to stop bleeding, um, probably just the next available working day is fine for that. So that might be Monday. Um, some patients will improve over the weekend and may not need to be seen at all by okay. the dentist. So if it doesn't start bleeding again, um, you're probably fairly safe that things are just going to heal going to heal up by themselves. Okay. Surgicel doesn't need to be taken back out or anything. Okay. Um, if you've used a dissolvable stitch, if you've managed to get one in, um, again, that doesn't need to be taken back out. So some of these people won't need to be seen again. I think that's something to remember but the uh, the parting word to them should always be if you've got any further problems see your dentist as soon as possible and if you don't manage to get it stopped for any reason then I think the the best place for them to go would be to maxillofacial. Okay so the next patient is a similar patient tooth extraction several Mm -hmm. days prior and now they've come in with what we presume to be a dry socket. Can you just describe how you would approach that problem? Yeah, so dry socket's incredibly painful. Um, more common in women, more common in smokers. Um, and generally due to the fact that there has been no clot formed in the socket after the extraction. So when you look in, you will see the bare bones of the socket when you look in at it. Um, so the first thing really in, in that situation is to get the patient out of pain because it's incredibly sore. Um, and again, we would normally just infiltrate some local anaesthetic round about the socket. And that normally gets the patient to calm down. No, that's fantastic. And that would be just a mixture of lignocaine and adrenaline. Yeah, presumably. so lignocaine with adrenaline. And, and, uh, and that's our standard local anaesthetic um, and the thing the thing to bear in mind is don't worry about injecting people in the mouth with adrenaline you okay. won't do any harm in terms of that so um you know the local anaesthetic is quite safe with that in it brilliant brilliant now say for some reason they have an allergy to local anaesthetic or we don't have any available for whatever reason that mm-hmm. might happen are there any other little simple things that could be done for the pain 
for the dry socket. Yeah. Yeah. So what you really need to try and do is get a clot in the socket. So um, so we would normally rinse it out with chlorhexidine, just using okay. a wee syringe, just a normal syringe and needle and just give it a wee rinse out. Um, and then there are other things that you can use that actually, um, if, you, if you can't get the patient anaesthetized, which um, I think you really would need to do to be able to make the socket bleed again, because it would be too sore to do it otherwise. Yeah. If you can't get that to happen, there's stuff that you can get called alvogel, yeah. Um, and again, like the Surgicel, you can pack that into the socket and that gives them gives them a kind of, um, it sort of helps to obturate the socket okay. um, and that makes it much less painful. Okay. Um, so that's something quite quick you can do. It's it's horrible looking stuff. It looks like a whole bunch of brown fibres with oil of cloves in it. And if we didn't have that, are you suggesting we could use the Surgicel? Because that's probably something we have well, available. Well, you know, probably it's Surgicel isn't isn't so appropriate for dry socket because okay, you want something okay. that's a kind of more of a medicament, if you like, and and uh, Alvogel is that. But okay. it's very easy to get hold of, and it's something that you know you can have hanging about for ages, and you might only use it once in a blue moon. So, say we do anaesthetize it successfully. Mm-hmm. How, you mentioned making it bleed. How would mm. you make it bleed? You just you would just need um. And in, well, any kind of instrument really that you can tweezers, even that you can scrape around the socket scrape and try and get it bleeding again. Okay. And then can, can it ever bleed too much? Um, well, I suppose anything can, but um, but you would just want to get it bleeding, and then you would apply pressure on it in the normal way yeah. um, that you would after an extraction, and just try and get it settled down again. And that would be that if if, if things are under control. Yeah. Then that would be a case of follow up. And how how would you get this patient followed up? Do you think again um, if their symptoms subside um, they could probably just go and see their own dentist on the Monday morning and then presumably what you're describing is if we get successful um, anesthesia and we make a little clot that's often going to be enough so when the lignocaine wears off the clot is now providing the pain relief is that right yes absolutely Okay, so we've two very happy patients um, have left Um, so our next patient um, is a facial swelling Quite a big topic. Is there any way you could simplify some little points for us when you see someone with a facial swelling? Okay, well, if you're thinking of an extraoral facial swelling, which I'm guessing we'll maybe touch on that first day. So the common ones are submandibular, submental, um, infraorbital, and then the sort of parapharyngeal and retropharyngeal swellings, which are by far and away the most worrying, I suppose. Um, so your typical patient with a submandibular swelling would probably have had toothache at some point in the recent past. Um, that's maybe then gone away and they've all of a sudden developed this big swelling. Um, and they can be quite marked um, and usually just on one side, but not always. Um, so um, they are things that we would treat as, a, as an emergency, really. So I have seen people go off very very quickly as a result of having some of those problems so the the ones round about the airway tend to be worse uh, the infraorbital swellings tend not to be quite so bad although they're uncomfortable for the patient so so the infraorbital swelling would generally be, late, be related to either a canine tooth so your eye tooth or a premolar which is the next one along and they would develop sort of under your eye, um, maybe your nose would swell up, your lip would swell up. Um, and they're a wee bit less worrying than the ones in the lower jaw. The retropharyngeal and parapharyngeal ones are very worrying because of the risk to the airway. Um, and uh, that can be quite significant and very rapid onset. Um, but also the retropharyngeal ones have the potential to track right down to the mediastinum. So um, again, I've seen people... Um, who've ended up having litres of pus taken off their pericardium because of a dental abscess. 
Is there any way to identify those patients? Because it is hard. You can't really see the swelling. Yeah. Obviously, some of them may have strider and other things. Any other little tips to, that would make you think that, that a retropharyngeal or, or parapharyngeal abscess is likely in this patient? Well, they would generally not be very well. So the, the usual signs of sepsis that you might look for. Um, but also they may have something called hot potato mouth which you've maybe heard of. Okay, yeah. So um, they're talking like their mouth, mouth's full of a hot potato. I mean, and it actually just does sound like that. So they might have... Do you um, wanna, would you like to give I us don't a know if I can demonstrate, <laughs> demonstrate that. But, you know, it's almost like they're talking like this because they can't move their tongue properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, they may be having trouble swallowing. They may be having trouble breathing, which is more worrying. Yeah. Um, so all of those things taken together with a patient who's not well. Yeah. Um, so will generally be febrile and and have all the other signs of sepsis um that's something that you need to take very seriously and those patients often end up with a tracheostomy yeah and what about there's gumboils gumboils yeah that's you the do. other end of the spectrum <laughs> it is so a gumboil is where um you've had decay in your tooth it's got into the root canal system it's got through the end of of the root and it has popped out on the gum beside a tooth so when you look in somebody's mouth you'll see like a pimple on the gum and it might be discharging pus usually by that stage there's no pain because the pressure has been relieved by the the abscess um, pointing already and and bursting Um, and those are not the kind of things you need to worry about those people just need to go and see their dentist so they would still go to the dentist they would go to the dentist they're going to they need a root canal treatment basically okay okay so in terms of disposition, so gum boils, they can wait till Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, would most other certainly infection-related swellings um, around the, the face and mouth, would, would they be, I guess, that evening? Would, would that be fair Absolutely. To say? So they need to be transferred reasonably rapidly, if particularly if the patient is uh, not well, um, to maxillofacial. And um, they are the things that I've seen where I've been the most worried um, because some of those people can go off really quickly. So, um, so for example, if you have an undiagnosed diabetic and they also get this dental infection, which they'll be more prone to, they can go off incredibly quickly. Um, and I have seen people die um, because of these issues. So a dental infection can ultimately kill you if it's not managed properly. Would you still refer that evening someone who had clearly no signs of airway compromise? Do you still think it's worth someone seeing them that evening? I think for an extra oral swelling, yes, I would probably still want somebody to cast an eye over it. I mean, the, the thing to remember, and particularly if you're, um, you know, more junior, is that it's always better to ask somebody to have a look than not to ask. And is there an easy way to be sure that something is dental in origin? So what, what I was thinking was submandibular. Could it be a salivary gland obstruction or, or, or some other pathology salivary gland? Do you always see tooth signs like if I was to look in the mouth around the area of the swelling should I always see evidence of tooth decay or something that would suggest or or is there any other easy way to know if something's dental in origin um you would normally see signs of tooth decay but so to be honest with you so many people um have you know lots of things wrong with their teeth that you might look in and not know what yeah. you were looking at. Um, there would often be a history of toothache at some point, okay. um, but maybe not that recently. So it might have been a week or two before, and then they might say, oh, you know, but that then the toothache went away, and now I've got the swelling. And that's that's basically the pressure inside of the tooth being relieved and tracking into the soft tissues. Um, so 
Yes, it could also be a salary gland problem because obviously your submandibular salivary gland is down there and sometimes you get an obstruction either from a stone or from a mucus plug or something and that can cause a retrograde infection. Um, But uh, I think both still need to be seen because if it's, you know, if it's infected and, and very sore, then I think both need to be seen. Now, the infected salivary gland probably doesn't have the same potential to cause the airway issues as the dental infection because that infection can track all over the place. Um, but I think probably still need to be seen. I'm just going to take you back a little bit to the gum boil. Mm-hmm. So we're discharging this patient. Yes. Any advice for that patient? Anything that would help you know, draw that infection out or anything for analgesic ways, anything that would help them through to Monday? Well, I think um, giving antibiotics is not a bad idea. So um, you want to give something either, usually we would give either amoxicillin or metronidazole for that kind of thing. Obviously with the proviso, you can't drink with the metronidazole. And is there a preference of the two? It sometimes feels we just choose one or the other, but I don't, I guess we've not decided that one is better over the other no and I don't think we have either so um so a lot of uh, dental infections I guess would have anaerobes in them and metronidazole is obviously quite good quite a good one to choose for that um but equally we sometimes give amoxicillin so I don't think it's um I don't think one's necessarily better than the other and sometimes we give both anything else any other little kind of remedies that that might kind of bring out the infection or maybe ease some of the pain yeah i mean i guess you might get a bit of discharge of pus if you use warm salty water okay um just to try and sort of draw things out but um but that won't help with the pain um but it obviously is a you know it'll give them a bit of an antiseptic rinse out um chlorhexidine mouthwash again um is quite good for just an antiseptic mouthwash um but any of the ones that you buy over the counter with fluoride in them they're just for entertainment value really oh really well that's (laughs) good to know (laughs) fantastic and what about analgesic i guess we could maybe cover most dental things Mm -hmm. in this not not necessarily just infections but what would be your best choices of of analgesics for home well in terms of toothache um by far and away the best things to take are ibuprofen and paracetamol either separately or in combination so most toothache has an an element of inflammation associated with it um so those are those are the best um analgesics giving people opioids you know codeine um or tramadol things like that will dissociate them from the pain but it won't actually make the pain any better, okay. if you know what I mean. So um, so they're less good, plus they tend to disorientate a lot of people and make them constipated. So, um, so we tend to not try and add to their problems. And any thoughts on heat or cold, either of those things? Any proven benefit? I don't think so. Not really? I don't think so. And just going back to the, the anaesthetic, if, if say someone had a single tooth, single mm-hmm. tooth decay, it was extremely painful and we did, did consider a local anaesthetic, would you go for a kind of regional block, like a mental block, or would you, how would one kind of locally anaesthetise a single tooth, if that makes well, sense? Well, for the upper teeth... Um, all you would really try and do is put some anaesthetic around about the tooth. Okay. Now, that means inevitably that you're going to have to inject into the palate, which is incredibly painful at okay. the best of times. So you really need to have a dental syringe to do that because the needle is so much finer. Okay. Um, but anything you can get round about the tooth and the upper arch will be helpful because um, you can infiltrate round about those teeth pretty well. If you're not able to do that because the, the presence of infection sometimes makes the local anaesthetic not work, terribly well it's to do with the ph um 
then you can go for an infraorbital block. And normally the way that I would do that is find the eye tooth and inject your needle straight up from the eye tooth towards the middle of the eye. Okay. Um, now, obviously not as far as the eye. Yeah. I would usually put a finger on the infraorbital ridge okay. so that if it's going too far, I get it first. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you can just infiltrate round about. That'll get the infraorbital nerve. And sometimes just taking the local anaesthetic a bit further away from the area of infection will get you something quite effective. So that's the upper jaw. In the lower jaw, yes, you can do a mental block. So you're aiming there for the buccal sulcus around about the second premolar. Okay. So you just need to count all your teeth. Yeah, everyone um, listening right now is going, which one's that again? <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> oh, so no, you've no, got don't. to well, well, like, I was gonna say, that, no. <laughs> I, Well, I was going to say what... Well, well, please do. I was going to say we, we will put it in the show notes okay, as well, okay. a little diagram, but please... Yeah, no worries. Yeah. So, so in terms of teeth, you've got two incisors yep. on each side. You've got one canine tooth. You've got two premolars and then three molars okay. normally. That's if you've got all your teeth. Okay, so the the eye teeth are generally ones that people seem to have for longer for some reason because they're quite big teeth with big roots. So even if people don't have all their teeth, you might see the eye teeth. They're the one that look, ones that look like the fangs. Yep. Um, and the premolars are the next ones along. So to find the mental nerve, you're really wanting to go between the first and second premolar region into okay. the buccal sulcus and just infiltrate a little bit round about there. So many thanks to Dr. Christine Goodall. Um, you'll be hearing more from her in a fortnight's time when we release part two of this interview. So I think my main take-home points today are number one, for post-extraction bleeds, the majority will stop by rolling up some gauze, placing it over the socket and asking the patient to bite down for at least 20 minutes. And this can be dry gauze or it can be soaked with adrenaline or tranexamic acid. If that fails, there's a few options. You can inject some lignocaine and adrenaline around the base of the teeth on both sides. You can insert some surgery cell inside the socket and then repeat step one. Or in extreme cases, you can suture the socket closed. Number two, dry sockets can be extremely painful. First step should be to provide adequate pain relief, again with some local anaesthetic infiltration around the tooth. And then you can consider some light irritation within the socket which will encourage some bleeding and allow some clot formation which will provide longer lasting pain relief. Follow up is with dentist at the next available appointment. Number three, extra oral facial swellings secondary to dental infection can be very dangerous particularly in the lower teeth so these should be discussed with a dentist or a MaxVac surgeon at the time of presentation. And finally just to clarify that What was described in this podcast for all three conditions was a local infiltration of anaesthetic at the base of the tooth in question. So what that is, is you're trying to inject a little bit of anaesthetic into the mobile tissue just below the gum in the bottom teeth and above the gum in the top teeth. So the gum itself is adherent to the bone, so when you touch it, it doesn't move. But you want to get into the mobile tissue just either above or below the gum, depending on the teeth. And you want to do this on either side of the tooth. So in the bottom teeth, that's in the buccal and lingual sulcus. And in the top teeth, that's anteriorly just above the gum line. But on the back side of the teeth, uh, the gum moulds into the hard palate. So you don't have that soft tissue to aim for. So it will be a little bit more painful in this area. So definitely need to use a dental syringe, which should be the first choice for all of these procedures. 
So please visit our show notes uh, for more information. And we've put in there some diagrams and some videos which will hopefully describe or, or explain a little bit better some of what we've described today. Many thanks for listening and take care.